So hi, everybody, Julie Panessi here. Oh, this is an odd time, I think, to say the least, a scary time. As a Canadian, our Prime Minister has just invoked an act that has never before been used in Canada. And when you live in a democracy and things get tough, surreal, dystopian even, it seems like it's exactly the time, you know, not to... Um, sort of let our fears run away from us, but rather to sort of try to maintain some composure, talk to each other, work out some of these ideas and see if we can figure out as a people what's going on and how to move forward in the way that best preserves uh, what's unique about, about Canada and being a Canadian. As I'm sure many of you know, I work as the Pandemic Ethics Scholar for the Democracy Fund, and that's a registered uh, civil liberties charity in Canada. We have an education arm and a legal arm. I'm on the education side of things, but today I have the pleasure of speaking with an amazing member of our legal team, lawyer Alan Honor. So Alan, thank you so much for being with us today. And I'm hoping you can shed a little light on this kind of odd legal situation and help us. Me too. I, I'm, um, you know, an academic, but the legal intricacies of what's just happened to us, I think are um, pretty obscure. They're too obscure to me and obscure to many. So I'm hoping you can sort of talk us through some of that. So to begin, on Monday, Prime Minister Trudeau announced at a press conference that he was going to be invoking this Emergencies Act. And among other things, it seems like this is going to put some limitations on the civil liberties that are guaranteed to people in Canada in virtue of our constitution and our, our charter rights in particular. So it seems like as a uh, civil liberties charity, we have quite a lot to talk about. So thanks, Alan, so much for joining us today. Can you tell us in your view, I mean, what does this mean for Canadians and how does this Emergencies Act interfere with, interface with, relate to uh, the charter in Canada? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, as you said, Justin Trudeau has invoked the Emergencies Act, mm -hmm. and that is a very extraordinary thing to do. It hasn't been done ever. So what it means for, for Canadians is that their government now has increased powers. And if you, in fact, if you look at the preamble to the Emergencies Act, what it says is that, you know, in times of emergency, um, there will be these increased powers available to the government, which might not be appropriate in normal times. And the, the, the question of how it affects Canadians really depends on how the government is going to use those powers. And we, we've had a glimpse of that starting yesterday when they released um, these orders which are made pursuant to the Act um, about how they're going to exercise certain powers which are available to them for the particular type of emergency that they proclaimed. Mm -hmm. So this, this law, um, Emergencies Act, came into effect in 1988. As you said, it's never been used before. This is quite, this is new. This is unprecedented. And the language, I was looking last night at this Emergencies Act, and the language of emergency, I guess unsurprisingly, appears throughout it. But it raises the question, I think, well, what, what counts as an emergency that would be protected by or um, necessitating 
the invocation of this act. And I'm just reading from a little bit of it here. And it says it's a the Emergencies Act is a federal law that can be used by the federal government in the event of a national emergency. Okay. And then the I think sort of reasonable reader says, well, what's that? What's in a national emergency, right? And it goes on to define that as an urgent, temporary, and critical situation. Okay, urgent, temporary, critical. So let's keep that in mind and ask, well, are, are we in that? <laughs> right? um, that seriously endangers the health and safety of Canadians, or that seriously threatens the ability of the government of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Canada. So there's a lot going on there. But first, what do you think about this language that it has to be a national emergency that's urgent, temporary, and critical? Do you think we're in that now? I don't think that there's evidence to support that we're in that type of emergency. Okay. Now, Dr. Panessi, you just pointed out this definition of a national emergency, and you can see that it really has so many parts to it. Mm -hmm. right? But that's, that's really, in a way, that's only one side of it. There are more parts to it. Because if, if you read this act, you'll see that there, there are a number of different types of emergencies uh, which are listed in it. There are emergencies related to war. There are international emergencies. There are public welfare emergencies. And then there's the specific type of emergency that um, the Trudeau government just invoked, and that's called a public order emergency. Mm -hmm. Now, as you pointed out, a public order emergency is a national emergency, but it's more than that, and it has a definition. And the definition, and I'm just sort of looking at the act here, mm. is... And is that defined, the public order emergency is defined in the Emergencies Act itself? So people listening to this could go and look it up? They, they can go look it up. It's defined in section 16 of the Act. And it means an emergency that arises from threats to the security of Canada, and that is so serious as to be a national emergency. So part one, it's an emergency that arises from threats to the security of Canada. And what are those threats? To find out what those are, you actually have to look at a different act. And the act you have to look at is the Canadian Security Intelligence Service Act. And that act lists, uh, it defines these threats. I, I, I don't want to go through all of them in exact detail. For, yeah, give, give us some examples if you can. So we have, a, sure. I was wondering this when I read it, I thought, well, what is a public order emergency? What does it mean yeah. to threaten the security of Canada as a nation? Right. right so I think, I think what I can do for you is I can boil these different types of threats down. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, um, you have this category of threats, which I would call espionage or sabotage. Um, another type of threat would be hostile foreign activity. A third type of threat would be serious acts of violence or threats of violence, which are motivated for, by, by religion or by politics or by ideology. And then the fourth category of threats can really be boiled down to sedition or insurrection. So, what, what the government has to show is, on the one hand, that 
at least one of these categories of threats um, is out there. And then if they can show that, then they have to go and, and say, well, it's a national emergency. And there are so many parts to this test that I don't think they can possibly uh, meet the threshold based on what they've told us and what many of us have observed. So the kind of, the, the threat has to be unique in kind and in severity, if I understand you correctly. So it has to be a, a, a threat of a particular kind. So undermining what it is that keeps a country together in some sense, but that it also, it can't just be that. It also has to have reached a threshold of seriousness. So presumably, if, if I'm understanding correctly, if you had a minor act of insurrection, that would not pass this test. Or can you have a minor act of insurrection? Well, I don't know, maybe by definition, that's not <laughs> possible. But... I, think, I think you have to ask some unsuccessful political activists. About yeah, that. but the point Probably. you're making, it, 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 it seems to be that this is quite significant and that's why we don't see this act in play very often because you need a pretty significant event that it would respond well, to. Well, that's right. So, so let's maybe just take a minute to, to think it over. So let's say, and, and I think what the government has been saying up until till this point that the, you know, the threat to the security of Canada has to do with serious acts of violence or threats um, of violence against persons or property that are motivated by politics or ideology. I think that's the main um, premise that they have. They might also be saying, well, it's sabotage, but let's even, let's put aside evidentiary arguments for now. Let's presume that they could satisfy it. Mm -hmm. Well, fine. Is it a national emergency? And if it is a national emergency, it's going to have to satisfy one of these two criteria. Uh, so it's going to be a situation which seriously endangers the lives, health, or safety of Canadians, and is the sort of um, situation which can't be handled by the provinces. Mm -hmm. so are we in that situation? I don't think so. There's another situation it could be too. It could be, um, it, it could mean that, let's, let's again, let's presume that they can prove that there are these serious violent acts or serious violent threats or that there's sabotage, then they would still have to prove it's a national emergency. And the other way they can do that is to show that it seriously threatens the ability of the government uh, to preserve sovereignty, security, um, and territorial integrity of Canada. And that there's no other law that can effectively deal with the situation. So what? Again, so many parts here. Yeah. Can they satisfy that? And why don't we have these laws which can effectively deal with the situation which we see now in Ottawa and in other places around the country? It seems, you know, from my presumably limited, um, you know, academic perspective, it seems to me like there's been a big jump from... Um, what I mean, I was in Ottawa for a few days. You were in Ottawa, I think, and you've been to Windsor. You've been on the ground in these uh, 
places, right? And uh, my experience certainly was that there was nothing that would constitute any kind of emergency. There are inconveniences for sure, no doubt. Businesses are closed and streets are blocked and there's noise of various kinds, but it doesn't sound like inconveniences are what the Emergency Act is in existence to address, right? So what it seems like we've gone from a large, granted, um, perhaps inconvenient protest to invoking the most, um, you know, the strictest limitation on civil liberties that's possible in Canada. So, I mean, what kind of additional powers does this act entitle the government of Canada to do? I mean, what could they possibly do to citizens? Well, they can't do anything they want to do. Hmm. I don't think I would go so far as to say that um, this is as bad as it can get, right? Um, because there, there are limits to their powers. Earlier, you asked me if the charter still applies, and I didn't answer that, but let me answer it now. Yes, the charter still applies. And the preamble to the act even goes so far as to mention that the charter applies. It doesn't have to say that because we know the charter would apply anyway, but the, the, the drafters of this act have decided that way it was important to say that the charter still applied. So people still have their fundamental rights in section two, rights to freedom of expression, rights to um, freedom of peaceful assembly. They have their, um, you know, they have their due process rights. Um, starting but, at seven, what's seven. the butt that's hanging out there? <laughs> But, okay, so <laughs> what happens, though, is that... Um, it's a, it's a uh, good question, right? Because oh, I... It's a great question. I think it's a very important question. Well, that this, this language of the charter still applies, but we have this emergency act. That, to me, is, is, is confusing, odd, but interesting language. So I'm so curious about what the practical upshot of that looks like. So in what sense? I mean, if the charter applies, does that mean something like we still have our full set of charter rights? Or? You know, I think part of this is that the charter is sort of a confusing document. <laughs> and I think as a country, we're starting to understand it a little bit more. Hmm. But when you, when you look at the first section of the charter, it does have that caveat. And it says that you know, these rights are subject to reasonable limits. Right. And those limits are limits which are prescribed by law and which can be uh, reasonably demonstrated in a, a free and democratic country. Mm -hmm. So in other words, to, to, to make that a little bit simpler, and usually the way it presents in courts is that, you know, you have these rights, but sometimes when there is a, you know, a compelling state interest, those rights are limited. And what I think we're going to see here is that um, the government has certain expanded powers and those expanded powers are going to limit our charter rights to some extent. And, and let me jump ahead and say this. That's not necessarily a bad thing. If we have a true emergency, which, require, which requires the government to exercise powers, which would ordinarily be inappropriate. But do we have that type of emergency now? I don't think we do. I, I know I told you that. I don't think the evidence is there for it. But what we're going to see is that some of our rights are going to be limited. 
and that is going to be in relation to the specific emergency they evoked, invoked and the powers that, um, that are available under that specific emergency. We've certainly heard a lot about government overreach over the last couple of years, arguably, but increasingly more lately. Uh, and when I was reading through this Emergencies Act last night, I thought, is this a good law at all? Should we have such an act? Um, if our constitution already has this proviso, would we call it, that charter rights are guaranteed within these reasonable limits, then do we need to have a law that articulates when they should be limited, right? And I asked you this before and you said, no, I think the Emergencies Act is a good law, but it's just not being applied appropriately now. Right? Yeah, I, and I think that's absolutely right. The Emergencies Act is a good law, but it's meant to be invoked in very narrow and extraordinary circumstances mm. in times of war, in times of natural disaster, in times of insurrection. Um, the, one of the weaknesses to the act is that uh, it, can be, it can be abused, right? And if we look at this particular emergency that the, the government has just declared, a public order emergency, um, the government can invoke it if, um, you know, they have to consult with the provinces, but let's say they consult with the provinces and their consultations are not binding. Mm -hmm. They can invoke this type of emergency on a, on a standard of reasonable grounds. Mm -hmm. And that is a pretty low standard. That is the standard that people get arrested for. Now, there, there are some checks and balances in the act. They have to go before parliament, but until they do that, a certain amount of damage can be done. It's worrisome, isn't it? I mean, I've heard from a number of people who are supportive of the Emergencies Act. Uh, and, and when you, you look into their explanation for why they, they support it, they, a lot of them are saying things like, well, I'm just so sick of the protests. I'm so tired of the blockades. I'm so, it's so annoying. Why don't the truckers just get back, back to work and leave Ottawa and leave us alone? You know, those kinds of things. But as I think you've explained well to us, um, the Emergencies Act is not an appropriate response to annoyance or inconvenience, right? Mm -hmm. The threshold uh, for it to be invoked in the first place has to be higher than that. But now that it's been invoked, there's a possibility of, of fairly um, far-reaching powers from the government. And I wonder, I mean, what can you tell us about what, I mean, I kind of hate to use the language of fear, but what can you tell us about what average Canadians should be afraid of? I mean, should be, we be worried that we can just be arrested now without some sort of, without the regular kind of due process that's in place? Should be, we be worried that our bank accounts can be seized if it's shown that we are uh, providing charitable donations to organizations that the government doesn't approve of? Um, what, what are the consequences for average Canadians, whether they're involved directly in the, in the protests or not? Well, the, the consequences for average Canadians is that they won't be able to do all the things that they were otherwise able to do in relation to some of these protests. Okay. Now, some of it is not completely clear, right? Mm -hmm. um, but let me give you an example of one type of Canadian who might be impacted by this. And this is, um, these are the tow truck drivers. 
And we've all heard rumors about the tow truck drivers that they don't want to tow these trucks in Ottawa. Right. I don't know exactly what their reasons are. Maybe it's because they support these truckers in their, in their acts of civil disobedience, or maybe it's because they don't want to lose customers. I'm not sure. But what the one of the powers available under, um, under the act, when the government proclaims a public order emergency is that they can essentially conscript people to provide service to this services to them right. that they say are essential. And this is an important part. If you don't provide those services, you can be criminally charged. Mm -hmm. That's one way in, in which I think some Canadians will be affected. Now, other Canadians will be affected um, because there are restrictions on assemblies. And it's pretty vague, but that essentially what the, the government is saying is that there are restrictions on assemblies which might lead or reasonably uh, be believed to lead to a breach of the peace. And if you attend one of those, um, you know, you can, there, there are potentially consequences. One of the so, consequences is that you might have your bank account frozen. Right now we've seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we've seen tickets being handed out to truckers themselves for certain charges, but we've That's not seen any tickets handed out to non-truckers, is that right? Well, you know, I don't know everything that's been going on, right? Mm -hmm. If you're, you know, I think the truckers have been, um, you know, they've been ticketed because they're doing things like blocking streets. Right. You're not allowed to do that. That, you know, every municipality- At I'm any sure. point. Has has a uh, you know a bylaw that says you will not block a street. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what we have to keep in mind here is that there there are two types of things which are happening at these protests. On the one hand, we have people who are coming out and they're showing their support for the, these truckers and they're waving their flags and they are doing nothing wrong. They are engaging in um, you know, in protected activities. They are expressing themselves. They are assembling, and they don't appear to be breaking any laws. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you have um, some truck drivers who are, you know, certainly breaching bylaws and may potentially be breaking some criminal laws. And they're they're doing this, as far as I can see, out of um, out of civil disobedience, right? And and you know, they're saying we're just we're tired of. Um, you know, we're tired of our rights being taken away mm -hmm. and we're going to park our trucks here. And if you don't like it, come and arrest us. Mm -hmm. But why haven't we arrested them? If they are breaking laws, the police can arrest them. They have that power under the criminal code. If the police see somebody breaking the law, they can arrest them without a warrant. So why do we need these extraordinary measures under the Emergencies Act? Well, that is the interesting, one of the interesting questions, isn't it? I mean, is the invocation of the Emergencies Act justified given that there wasn't a more gradual progression and escalation in police response? And arguably, and, I, and I'm not saying I, I would sort of 
justify or support this because I do think that there's space for uh, peaceful civil disobedience, maybe not just space for, but it's an important mechanism for our democracy, for peaceful civil disobedience. But anyway, um, if it can be shown that the police could have removed all of the trucks by simply arresting the truck drivers and removing the trucks themselves somehow, then the Emergencies Act would presumably be clearly not justified. That's right. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier. You know, mm-hmm. you know, is this is this emergency that does it exceed the capacity or, or the authority of the province to deal with it? Mm-hmm. Or is it the type that can't be effectively dealt with under any other law in Canada? Mm-hmm. And you know, in, in both cases, there are there are criminal laws here. Now they might even say that, well, we can arrest them, but we can't tow their trucks. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's true. You know, if you arrest someone, you can get a, you know, they can they can get search warrants and they can get assistance orders and they can compel people to help tow these trucks. I just, it's not clear to me at all why they had to invoke the Emergencies Act when we have other laws which will address this type of situation. It certainly seems like there's a lot of work that has been done by lawyers to get us to this point and that will need to be done moving forward. What is the Democracy Fund doing on the legal side in the face of this Emergencies Act? And what do you anticipate the Democracy Fund will be doing in the coming days and weeks? So what we've been doing uh, up until now is uh, we have been to places like Windsor and Toronto and Ontario, as you mentioned, and we've had lawyers on the ground there, and they have been just trying to make sure that people know their rights, Um, you know, that they know their charter rights to freedom of expression and freedom of peaceful assembly, but also that they know their rights to due process if they're engaged in peaceful acts of of civil disobedience. Mm. Um, we have also been in court. We have made some. Uh, we've made submissions on uh, the Ambassador Bridge injunction. And now that I bring that up, Dr. Panessi, let me let me point out what we probably all know. But the Ambassador Bridge injunction was granted. The police cleared out that protest. Okay, can you back us up a little bit for those who don't know about this? So, what is an injunction? Sure. So, an injunction is a court order, and it, it's a court order saying you have to do or you have to stop doing something. And in this particular case, there was an automobile association who asked the Superior Court of Justice to issue an injunction of stopping these blockades at the Ambassador Bridge. Mm-hmm. That injunction was granted. Um, and that injunction, it, it, it gave the police power to arrest people who were blocking the bridge. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as I know, the police were completely successful in removing those protesters. And I believe the Ambassador Bridge is, it's either, it's either open now or there's no reason why it shouldn't be open. So the question aside, whether or not that injunction should have been granted in the first place, your argument is, I, if I understand you correctly, is that given that the injunction did occur and that it did seem to have effect at dissolving the blockade in Windsor makes us wonder why did we get to this place on Monday where we now have this Emergencies Act in place? Exactly. It shows that the police can deal with these problems. Mm-hmm. So why do we need um, this extraordinary measure of proclaiming a public order emergency? 
Mm -hmm. Did you, I mean, are you sympathetic to this argument that we're losing millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in goods uh, traveling across the Ambassador Bridge? Are you sympathetic to that? I mean, I know Doug Ford has uh, mentioned that several times in support of uh, Trudeau's decision to invoke the Emergencies Act, but is that, um, is that a good reason, right, for him to sort of turn over decision-making power to the federal government that we're losing money? Well, I, you know, I, I think that's an important consideration that we're losing money. And I'm not suggesting to, to anyone that we have charter rights, which will extend to the point where we can block bridges for international trade. Mm -hmm. And people who are blocking those bridges are engaged in acts of civil disobedience. And, you know, sometimes there, there can be consequences for that. Mm -hmm. People who are engaged in those acts hope to bring about political change, but there could be consequences. But to answer your question, um, I think this is something that the provinces could have dealt with on their own. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it, it could have been dealt with by the criminal code. I do not see um, why we had to uh, invoke the Emergencies Act. Mm -hmm. With particular respect to Doug Ford, I'm not sure whether or not he endorsed uh, the, the proclamation of an emergency. And as I pointed out earlier, the, the federal government will have will be required to consult with the provinces, but they're not actually required to listen to what they say. Get their approval or something. Right? Exactly. Um, you know, I mean, there's a sense, there's sort of a feeling of a dystopian head in the sand quality to all of this, right? We've had a number of provinces, five maybe, but a number have made plans to lift their mandates already. Countries all over the world are doing the same thing. That's what these protests in Canada are about, right? I mean, as opposed to uh, moving to this emergency uh, Emergencies Act situation, uh, the federal government could have chosen to lift the mandates, to make a plan to lift the mandates. I mean, the, the Liberal and the uh, NDP uh, MPs have just voted down a plan to a plan to lift them. I mean, not even lifting them, but just a plan to lift them. Um, and no member of the government has offered to meet with uh, the protesters in order to hear their concerns. What, what do you think that says about the state of our democracy in Canada right now? Well, I, I think what it says is that we have a government which is entrenched in a position mm. and they are not willing to lift these mandates at the border. Mm -hmm. And the reason they don't want to do it, I think, is because they do not want to lose face. They don't want the truckers to be able to say that, you know, we were successful here. So what you really have is two sides which were entrenched. You have the truckers who were entrenched, and you have the government which is entrenched. But frankly, the government should have known better. By that, you mean they should have known we would have gotten here? I think what they should, they, they should have known that they were acting in a way which was increasingly dividing Canadians. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and many people have pointed this out, but, you know, the, the actions of the federal government are, which have, have led to this, this proclamation of an emergency, um, you know, are, are largely responsible for, for this mess we see ourselves in now. 
this mess. I mean, what are you're a lawyer? I'm an academic, and then there are you know there are politicians, there are law enforcement people. But what are what are what's the average Canadian supposed to do about this? I know so many people are sitting back in disbelief, and when you see this all over social media, I think we hear it in our private conversations with people. You see it even in mainstream media. Um, people just feeling like, what is going on? I was just reading a couple of articles from, I think one was the New York Post, and I forget the other one, American Publications this morning, just saying, what's going on in Canada? <laughs> like, are we going to face this kind of, you know, government overreach in the States if we're not careful? I mean, it's a, it's a cautionary tale. It's a surreal one. Um, what are we supposed to do when we kind of wake up out of this fog, when we come to terms with the fact that, no, this has actually happened? But as a, as a Canadian citizen, what are our options? What can we do moving forward? And we're very dependent on our, our members of parliament in this situation. Mm. We, the average Canadian can talk about how um, displeased they are with the current situation, and they can uh, notify their their MP about how displeased they are. They can write to their MP or better yet, ask for a meeting with their MP, tell them about um, how unhappy they are with the Emergencies Act. Mm -hmm. And there are some mechanisms for MPs to respond. And by that, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, on, on the one hand, um, when, when a public Order emergency is declared, uh, you know, within seven day, sitting days, it has to go before Parliament and they can debate it and they can revoke it. But there's also a mechanism under Section 59 of the Act. And what that section says is that if you can get 10 senators to sign a motion saying they want to revoke this Act, and if they, they, they file that with uh, the Speaker of the House, or alternatively, uh, 20 members of the House can sign a motion and file it with the Speaker of their House, then um, this motion has to be debated within three sitting days. And, and it can be, and there can be a vote on it, and it can be revoked. And so that what, what this basically is, it there's a mechanism in there to accelerate uh, the revocation of this act, or this emergency, rather. So, so this is not a done deal in some sense. It's important for Canadians to understand that we still have representative government. We still live in a democracy, which means rule of the people. And that we, it's, we can't sort of complain about what's happening to us if we haven't voiced our concerns to the people who are supposed to represent us, who are our MPs and then our MPPs, right? And I think you've given us really good, good reasons why it's important for us to do that. And then also the specific mechanisms that, that allow us to do that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Any last thoughts? Well, I, I guess my last thought would, would be based on something you just said. You know, I, I think we have every right to be upset, even if we don't go and complain to our MPPs, or our MPs in this case, because they should be looking at, at the law, and they should take, you know, an honest look at it. And regardless of whether or not, um, you know, they, they agree with these protests, or if they disagree, they should say, no, this is not a, a national emergency. Mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau, you have not met the test. We're not going to let you do this. Mm -hmm. 
you know, even liberal, even liberal MPs should stand up and they should say no to Justin Trudeau. You have gone too far. This is completely unwarranted. Mm -hmm. we, we, we don't live in a dictatorship, not yet anyway. Um, and we certainly don't have the, the political infrastructure that supports that, right? We still live in a democracy. We still have uh, the rights to voice our opinion, but we have to put pressure on on our uh, the people who are representing us politically. We're starting to see that in the House, don't you think? I think we're seeing more lively, robust debate than we have seen in a long time. And we're seeing people standing up um, to Justin Trudeau and Cynthia Freeland. And I think there's some comfort in that, but um, they must still feel that they have a threshold of public support or they wouldn't be doing what they're doing i'm assuming and so it's so important for us so important for us to talk about these things alan thank you so much for shedding i learned so much today and i hope that people watching learned a lot um and if you uh, have more questions if you want to check out what the democracy fund is doing uh you can check out our instagram page or our, our twitter page um or our website thedemocracyfund.ca so thanks so much everyone